Well, morning, everybody. If you've not had a chance to meet me, my name is Chris Coker. I'm the youth pastor here, and I'm so grateful to many of you that have befriended our family uh, over the last six months. I'm just grateful to everybody that all the encouragement, all the support, all the just conversations. I'm I'm eternally grateful for what you guys have done for us. I'm reminded this morning. Uh, normally, I I don't preach two services. Normally, uh, at least I've only done that a few times in my ministry career. And normally, my wife would be sitting normally right over here, right over here. And um, during that time, she says, empty your pockets. Um, Because when I first started preaching, I would always leave my keys, my car keys in my pocket. And I would get nervous and I would stick my hands in my pockets. And all you would hear is jingle, 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 like I was playing jingle bells with keys in my pocket. So there's a big pile of them over there on the seat. And so um, today, I'm really grateful to be able to uh, continue our series, The Big Ten. Uh, We're looking at 10 stories that are in all four Gospels. And we'll get to that here in just a second. But I want to tell you a story that uh, popular preacher Greg uh, Laurie, I read about this week, kind of tying into our topic for today. So there's um, there's this widow. She's a She's been without companionship for a long time, and she's just starved to hear anybody's voice at her house. And so she heard that the local pet store had a parrot. Um, I know. <laughs> and uh, so she says, well, maybe that parrot will at least have some communication in the house when it's so quiet. So she goes in, she says, hey, um, does this parrot really talk? Oh, yeah, the, the, the shop owner says, yeah, he talks all the time. So she bought the parrot and took him home and put him in the cage, and she was hoping to hear any voice. A week and a half went by, and not a peep, not a word one from this parrot. So she's a little annoyed, as you can imagine. So she goes back into the shop owner's and says, hey, um, that parrot's not talking. What's the deal? He said, well, did you buy a mirror? A mirror? Well, yeah, parrots need to have other parents to communicate with. So she buys the mirror and takes it home. And before long, another week goes by. This parrot has said nothing, not one word. And this lady's blood pressure has gone up. Her face is more red. As she walks into this shop owner, and she's a little bit upset now. Not just a little, she's a lot upset. She's furious. She's like, you told me this parrot can talk. Well, did you give the parrot any toys to play with? Well, no. He's like, well, parrots love to climb stairs and swing. And so she, she said, okay, I will buy the swing. She almost feels like it's like a bait and switch kind of deal at this point in time. And so she buys a swing. She buys a ladder. She's got the mirror and all this stuff. She's bought all these things. She comes back a week later, and now she is pounding the counter. This little old lady, she is hot. She said, did that? So she goes in, and she's like, this parrot will not talk. She said, and the parrot said, well, did he say anything at all? No, he didn't say anything. My parrot's dead. The shop owner's a little confused by this. and She says, um, did he say anything before he died? He said, uh, yeah, he said one thing. Don't that store have 
food. And so, I know, it's the whole, I like, it's a dad joke. You're like, oh my gosh, you got to be kidding me. Uh, don't spoil it for any second service, folks. But when you think about food and about how much of our time revolves around food, I'll just give you an example. Uh, this morning, you probably woke up to some food. Either you had to cook it, or you will be getting breakfast shortly in the cafe. And before long, you'll be thinking about what you want to eat for lunch, whether you want to cook it, whether you want to go out to eat. And then you have to think about cleaning up the food, putting the leftover food away, storing the food. Food plays an enormous part of our life. Some of us even dream about food. I can't say I've done that lately, but some of us dream about food. And the really amazing thing is about Jesus is that he spends an inordinate amount of time in the scriptures with food. Mary and Martha cook him food. He has food with tax collectors and sinners. He goes into uh, Zacchaeus' home for a meal. Throughout the entire set of scripture, we see Jesus around food. One sermon I read, uh, the title of it was Jesus, the Ultimate Foodie. I didn't want to title my sermon that, but I was, I was impl- um, just kind of impressed by the number of times Jesus is around food. And so today, as we jump into our series, The Big Ten, now I want to remind you that the four gospel writers are writing these, these ten stories. Now, if, if four of us were at an intersection, and we were all on each of the four corners, and there was a wreck in the middle of the intersection and the police were to come and interview us, all four of us could say something completely different. One corner will say, well, the little cat ran out and ran in the road and caused the person to break. Well, the other person on the other side maybe didn't see that. And so when we look at these uh, gospel accounts, we're going to be looking at the book of John for the most part today, but we're going to tie in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospels as well. So if you've got your Bibles with you, I'm not going to do like what Bryce said last week and Turn to John chapter 6 four times. But if you could turn to John chapter 6, that's where we're going to take take most of our story from today. And we'll be looking at, like I said, the other gospel accounts along the way. So in John chapter 6, we start off with four words, and then we got to stop. Sometime after this. Just four words into the chapter, and we have to pause and ask the question, What is John talking about? I'll give you an example. Um, If I said, um, a little while ago, how long is that? Is it an hour? Is it a couple days? A month? A little while to a kid is about a minute. A little while to an adult could be several months. And so what we need to find out is what has been going on leading up to John chapter 6. So in Mark's gospel, we find out a couple of key things that have been going on in the life of Jesus and his disciples. Uh, In the beginning part of Mark chapter 6, Jesus sends his 12 disciples out into the surrounding countries to to heal and to preach and to teach. And they've just come back to, to Jesus but at the end of John chapter or Mark chapter 6, we see something else that's happened. 
a tragic thing that's happened. Bryce mentioned last week in our sermon about John the Baptist, about how he was in all four Gospels. We find out in Mark chapter 6 that, that John's been beheaded. Jesus' cousin had been beheaded. And so as these disciples come back reporting all this amazing news, like, hey, Jesus, we healed the sick, we taught. It was an amazing experience. Jesus is also met with the news of grief that John had passed away and been beheaded. And so this news is coming in. And so when we get to that section where it says sometime after this, that's what's been happening leading up to what we're going to read today. And so the disciples have returned from their travels. They just want to get away. Have you ever had like a busy week and you just wanted to relax for a few minutes? Maybe Bryce has known that because he was gone all week at this intensive class at Ozark and he hasn't probably had much time to think about rest for the most part. But we get back into the story of what happens in verse 2. It says, Jesus crossed at the far side of the shore of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. That's the, the Roman name for the Sea of Galilee. And a great crowd of people followed him because they had saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with the disciples. The Jewish Passover was near. John is the only person to mention that the Passover was coming. And so there's all these people traveling from Sea of Galilee getting ready to head down to Jerusalem. So you've got all the surrounding towns, all these people, which makes about a crowd of about five to 10,000, as we'll see. And there's a really interesting thing that I love how Mark and Matthew talk about what Jesus sees as he sees the crowd coming. John doesn't mention it, but Mark, Matthew and Mark both say it this way. It says, um, when he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Now, I just want to say real quick, are there times in your life when it's hard to show compassion? Maybe when you're stuck in traffic and that one person wants you to let them in. You know, they've turned the turn signal on. And you're like, man, I've been sitting in this line for 15 minutes. And you just don't want to. That happened to me yesterday. That's why it's so fresh in my mind. <laughs> um, but sometimes it is hard to show compassion, especially to people who might be taking advantage of you or people who just want more. In this situation, Jesus and his disciples, they have been tired. They are grieving. And yet when Jesus sees this crowd of people, he sees them like a sheep without a shepherd. This won't be the last time that Jesus does that. He'll look back in his last week on earth and he will look at and over the city of Jerusalem. He will weep for the city of Jerusalem. I love what Colossians 3.12 says. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, that's us, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So as Jesus sees this crowd approaching, He has compassion. Does our life reflect compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, and humility? That's what we should be clothing ourselves with. We should look like Jesus and His compassionate nature. Here's where the story gets fun. And I always tell the youth group kids, you've got to read the Bible because it's hilarious. Most people look at the Bible like, okay, read, read, read. 
It's hilarious. You just got to look at it. So in verse 5, this is where it gets fun. In verse 5, when Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wage to buy enough bread for each to have a bite. <laughs> Just imagine the picture here. You know, there's all these people, and Jesus says, hey, um, Philip, by the way, Philip was from that area. Hey, um, where can we buy enough bread to feed all these people? Can you imagine how big Philip's eyes get? And, you know, he pulls out his abacus and he starts counting. He's like, it would take a full, almost half a year for them to just have a little tiny little bite. He's like, this is impossible. But Philip shouldn't have thought that way. But I think sometimes we do too. We think that it's so impossible for God to do it. I just want to think about the things that Philip has seen Jesus do. This is not Jesus' first miracle. Philip has been around for some other miracles, like raising a dead person. That's pretty impressive. You know, when you've seen him heal the sick, the lame guy gets up, takes his mat, and goes home. That's pretty impressive. You know, I'm surprised that Philip didn't say, Jesus... You're all-powerful. You're the creator of the world. You made everything with just your word. You take care of it. I think Philip, though, was a lot like us. He was more focused on what he couldn't do than what Jesus could do. Ever been there? He was more focused on what he couldn't do than what Jesus could do. The really cool thing about this is that and this is the part that I think is hilarious, is Jesus gave Philip the answer. I bet you missed it. I bet you missed it. I missed it the first time. But look back at verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw the crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where shall... What's the next word? We. He didn't expect Philip to do it on his own. He wanted to be a part of the solution. Then in verse 8, another disciple, Andrew, which if you don't know this, Andrew is always bringing people to Jesus. Every time you see him in the Scriptures, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and he said, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will that go among so many? I'm going to give you an example. If I had a Happy Meal right here, how far would that go to feed the number of people in this room? Not very far. You might get one little tiny piece of a burnt french fry. He's like, here's this, here's this food, but what is that going to do for so many? And this is one of the things I want you to think about as we come to like some application for our lives today. Um, I want you to put yourself in a position for God to do big things. Put yourself in position for God to do big things. After the disciples had searched around, one of the other gospels said that they'd been traveling with them for three days, and so maybe they had already finished all their food and they didn't have any more. And so they continued to 
um, look around, and they get this little boy. He's got five barley loaves, which are basically the food for the poor, the, 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 cheap, the cheapest bread you could make. And he says, well, I'm, this is what I've got. Here's a really interesting part about that. Out of all the 5,000 people who needed something to eat, needed a miracle that day, that boy didn't need a miracle. He had his food. But he was willing to sacrifice what he had. He put himself in a position so that God could do big things. He gave his food. He sacrificially gave what he had been given. Now, you can ask my wife later, I am horrible at math. I'm not good. But this is the kind of math I like. When you add Jesus to the equation, are not enough becomes more than enough. You might not think that you have a lot to offer, but there are countless numbers of people whose simple sacrifice have allowed us to be in this place today. I'm just going to list a few of mine. Dan, Chris, Wiley, but not the coyote, Jack, Dewey, Tom, Jared, Matt, Paul. Those are all people who have played integral parts in my life to where I'm with you today. Now, they didn't give up mansions and cars and tons of money. They gave up what they had. They put themselves in a position so that God could do something with what they had and could do something big with it. Do you guys happen to know the name Albert McBankin? Anybody know that name? He's a farmer, old farmer, back in the 30s. He was 24 years old, and he had a bunch of these farm hands. And there was this revival coming to the area. And he had asked his farm hands, hey, hop in the back of the truck and let's go to this revival. There was one person who said, no, I don't want to go. He kept working, kept working, kept working. And eventually, the, the, the farm hand who was a little stubborn said, okay, I'll go. Gets in the truck, goes, hears the revival, and he hears this preacher named Mordecai Ham, which as a kid you'd have had to be made fun of a few times. <laughs> but Mordecai Ham was the revival speaker at that revival. That stubborn little boy, Billy Graham, who spoke to millions and millions of people about Jesus. That farmer didn't offer a whole lot, but he took what he had. He took his time, his talents, and whatever treasures he had, and he gave it to God, and God multiplied that exponentially so. I love how Jesus is always thinking about the heart of the offering instead of what is given. In uh, Mark chapter 12, we see this story of uh, this widow who's giving her offering. And it says in Mark chapter 12, verse 41 and 42, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offering was put and watched the crowd put their money into the temple treasury. Many people threw their large amounts in, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a few cents. He called his disciples to him and he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, 
but she gave out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. What, what do you have that you can give God that he can take and multiply to bring glory to his kingdom? Think about the things that you can invest your time and your talents and your treasures in to advance God's kingdom. It doesn't have to be monumental amounts, but it can be small amounts that God can do truly amazing things with. So in verse 10 here in John chapter 6, we see Jesus says, hey, um, have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in this place, which kind of maybe echoes back to Psalm 23. And they sat down, about 5,000 men were there. Matthew talks about that there was also women and children, so there could have been 10 to 15,000 or so there. Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. Now, I'm a person who would love to have seen how this miracle happened. Uh, if you've watched The Chosen, they have a really good example of what they think might have happened, and it's beautiful. I'd encourage you to watch it. But none of the gospel writers actually explain how the miracle happened. None of them. And I think there's a reason for that. They all pointed us to Jesus, who can take their little bit and make it much more. They wanted to focus on the person, not the actual miracle, but the person who made the miracle happen. So they all pass out this food. They're all eating. It's, it's gone from a happy meal to a golden corral buffet. And they're eating to their little heart's content. In fact, it says, when they had all had enough in verse 12, he sat down with... He said, gather the pieces that were left over. Okay, that's, that's amazing. Think about it. A little Happy Meal just with us ain't going very far. If I kept this Happy Meal and we continued to keep eating on that until all of us were done eating like at Thanksgiving, or we're just in that food coma, and Jesus said, hey, pick up the leftovers. That would have spoke volumes to me that he took the little bit and there was more than enough. He said, don't let any of it be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over from those who had eaten. Now, I'm going to speculate here. I know I'm not, I don't normally speculate about what happens, but what if Jesus gave that back to that boy? Imagine what would have happened when that boy rolled in home. He's carrying 12 baskets his mom sent him with a sack lunch, and he's carrying 12 baskets on his back, on his arms. He's walking in. Hey, mom. Puts it all down. I can't, I can't say that that's what happened. We don't really know. doesn't say what happened to the leftovers. But wouldn't that be an amazing testimony for his parents to have seen that? And I, like I said, I can't, I can't say that that was true, but I would just be amazed if that was what happened. So after the people saw that Jesus performed this in verse 14, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing this, intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again. Now there's a couple of things I want to just wrap up today as we kind of close. Jesus had compassion on the crowds. Even when he was tired, even when he was grieving, he had compassion. He wants us as His followers to be clothed with compassion. Compassion is an amazing thing in a world that is hurting. Compassion is an amazing thing. 
I spoke to someone this week whose son was struggling. And it was a pretty serious deal. He just needed some compassion. Say, hey, there's people here that can help. And it just made a big difference to him. Have you put yourself in a position for God to do something big? Have you, have you left yourself out of the equation? Have you said, well, God can do everything, but so I don't have to be participating. I want to encourage you to put yourself close to Jesus. And the closer you get to Jesus, you'll be amazed at what Jesus can do through what you give to Him. So today, as we kind of close, offer all you have. Put yourself in a position for God to do something big and see how God can take our not enough and make it more than enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for Jesus. I'm so grateful for His love and His compassion. His compassion led Him to the cross because of His great love for us. God, I'm thankful that You give us the opportunity to partner with You in ministry. That You give us the opportunity to give our time and our talents and our treasures so that You can multiply them in a way that we will never fully know. So God, we offer our not enough so that you can make it more than enough. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.